0: Hey, welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. In this episode, I have the one and only Alan Fang. And if you've been around any conferences, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, or anywhere else discussing the business of esports online in the past two years, it's very likely you've seen him a lot he spoke at basically every single conference for a year year and a half and that's how we kick off the conversation of course and talk about that in his history but he's also the man that got air asia into esports pioneered that space really led the charge and then he's recently moved off to an esports team evos that raised 4.4 million usd in a trying to change a bit of the way that commercialization happens in the Southeast Asian market. We talk a lot about his history, some great learnings that he has and teachings for people who want to work in the space and maybe even be an entrepreneur versus entrepreneur or develop their career path and progression. Also do a lot of a deep dive into content and the Southeast Asian market. What games are they playing? Why? What's the commercialization? And why are there so many non-ademic sponsors in Southeast Asia versus the rest of the world? They've got plenty more than almost everyone else put together. It's a great conversation. It's my second one I've had with Alan. There'll be plenty more to come. Enjoy. For those of you who have also lost your employment or are looking to skill up, we're trying to help here at Big Esports. We have an Esports Fundamentals course, which is helping people to understand an entry point into the employment within the esports and gaming market, whether you're coming straight out of college, university, high school, or whether you're trying to transition from another sport. To provide support for all of you, we're offering a pay-as-you-feel model. So you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash education. If you've lost your main line of employment and you can't afford to pay right now, at all, that's perfectly fine. We're able to offer it up to you for free. You can pay now. You can pay later. You can choose whatever you want. The course is usually $127 AUD. You can take it now for whatever you feel is appropriate or whatever you're able to afford. Hopefully, this will help a few of you get back on your feet in the short term and also the long term. Ah, uh, there we go. Alan, we're live. How are you? Good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. It's funny. I've um, I was just thinking about this. I haven't done a I haven't done a LinkedIn live in like over a week now. So it's been oh, funny wow. that we've all been home and I've been home, but there's been <laughs> been no LinkedIn lives happening on my platform, but I've seen you going on a tear recently I've seen you on Instagram takeovers I've seen you on like <laughs> Facebook streams like you're going on this media frenzy because you know the funny the funny thing I always say about you know your history is I think everyone on LinkedIn who who' heard of you before had probably seen you at a conference. I feel like you were at every single eSports conference for a year and a half, but now that we can't be at conferences, you're on every single stream. <laughs>
1: I know, right? That's uh, so ironic, but true. Um, Yeah, I had the opportunity to visit a lot of conferences for the past two to three years since I got myself involved in esports, and uh, right now there's a lockdown everywhere. And uh, coincidentally, I told myself this year I'm going to like slow down on conferences, and whoa, this thing happened, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, Exactly. Yeah, well you got to you got to adapt to what happens, right? I guess like the first question I want to ask you about that then that comes to most people is is how? Like like why did they choose you? How did you get to speak at so many conferences? Because I can't I can't think of another single person who's who's done that many. And really like to talk about the depth of it, you even came to speak at a conference in Australia. You know, you're at, you're at multiple in, mm. I've seen you in Europe, I've seen you uh, at ones in Asia and America. So you really were basically at every single big esports conference for at least a year straight.
1: Yeah, I had the opportunity to uh, got invited to these conferences. I believe now that I reflect back, is mainly because of our, the way how we did esports back then when I was in Air Asia, the airlines, um, the approach mm. was a bit different from a normal brand would do. It's by our employees, our all-stars back then, and we had an esports club internally before we actually went fully into esports. So that kind of a story kind of compelled the conference organizers to, "Hey, Alan, you should share in our conference." You know, I not only got invited to esports conferences, I got invited as well to digital and tech conferences, and I believe um esports is still generally new to a larger population; that they don't really understand yeah. per se. So I want to um, impart the knowledge and the message in a way that they understand and not just uh, from an esports perspective, from a, a day, day-to-day a layman perspective. Mm. So I think the storytelling helped a bit in that sense.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of it really is that storytelling, right? Like a lot of the advice I give to brands is saying that you, you don't want to just logo slap in esports. You want to be kind of all in. And I think that's what AirAsia sounded like because they had you kind of on that pedestal to be like, hey, we're a big brand, we're mainstream and we care about esports, but also we're going to talk about it all the time. And I'd love to see like any gray-haired person in a suit from DHL on Facebook live streams talking about like, hey, I'm their global head of marketing and PR, wearing esports, ask me anything. Like, I'd, I've, I've always been pushing for those so much, but you don't see them very often. I'd love to see some mm. gray-haired investors do that. I'd love to see BMW executives you know, on the floor kind of talking to people. And I think that's one thing that Air AirAge has done quite well. But it kind of makes sense to me, I guess, being that budget airline history and thinking about like a real pioneer in that place, Richard Branson, always doing like these really different things, doing really hands-on things. So it mm-hmm. kind of it kind of makes sense. But it was interesting to learn from the last LinkedIn Live that we did together. Um, you were talking about it started off as an employee first thing. So yes. just to just to clarify for anyone new who's tuning into the content, it wasn't so much an external marketing tactic, but it started off as an internal marketing plan. Mm-hmm.
1: That's right, uh, mm-hmm. because I felt that. Azure is a big company. We had twenty over thousand employees, and not everyone would fully understand esports. The initial reaction I got when talking one on one with some senior management, they're like, "Esports what's that gaming? Gaming? That's wasting time, Alan. What are you doing?" I'm like, oh, "Okay, Houston, we have a problem." So that's when I went on the internal disruption to educate internally our colleagues and also decision makers. Marketing mm. team, the branding team, even the finance, finance team. That's where the money comes, right? Also, mm. big bosses, are co-founders, both Tony Fernandez and Dr. Kamarudin. So I believe any brand that's listening to this, uh, you need to get a buy-in as well from different uh, levels or different uh, colleagues within the different departments because you'll be working with them and they're wondering, what's going on here? Why are you promoting gaming, esports, right? So I also mm. have to share with our social media team, et cetera.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like uh, I've heard this term before like intrapreneur instead of entrepreneur. So instead that's of setting right. up a new business, you know, you help it. And like there's a few other, like if anyone's watching this who's going, maybe that's something I can do. Like besides Alan's story, another fantastic one is uh the crew that that worked at the university quite sorry, Queensland University of Technology up here as well in Australia. They were a real market leader in that space. They've got ten thousand dollar scholarships for League of Legends oh, players, wow. a full facility that operates primarily commercially as well. It was set up with funding but operates on its standalone. They did a really good job, as well as Walton Wang, um, who set up HTCs uh, esports as well in the US, very similar. He went along the same line that you said, massive esports fan. He said, Well, mm. you know, I think he was working like a help desk or maybe a basic marketing job. And they said, Well, Walter, if you want to go and do esports, you can do it. It's yours. Go and oh, wow. go nuts. And, it's you know, nice. I think that's a fantastic way for people to get into that space and even for a, professional development aspect, it works obviously really well for you because you were able to use your position in Asia to also push your own profile, to be the person speaking all around the world. And I'm sure the job offers came rolling in nonstop for, for a long time because of that.
1: Yeah. I also believe in not just about AirAsia or myself, but also to help out the esports ecosystem by means mm. of uh, even talking to other brand owners or brand C-suite executives just to share a quick one, uh, which some people might know. When I was at one of the conferences in France, in Cannes actually, and uh, I met the CEO of Domino's Pizza, Malaysia, Singapore. And my first encounter with him was like, hey, what do you think about esports? And he's like, oh, Alan, I didn't know it's so big. Thanks for inviting me here. Like, and then after that, he went back to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia and went straight to his marketing team. I don't care how you do it, get involved in esports. I'm like, okay, yes, there you go. Another brand involved yeah, yeah. Uh, i I learned a bit actually before eSports from the paintball world, even before joining AirAsia. I was in okay. paintball, you know, the shooting game for ten years yeah yeah and what I realized in that industry was not enough uh, sponsors or brands coming into the ecosystem, so mm. I didn't want to see eSports happen in this part of the world being like that, so I wanted to accelerate its growth and uh, evangelize just like you, Chris, and share about eSports, get more brands in from a way that they would understand.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. There's so many, there's so many likenesses between other industries that we can learn stuff from, right? Like we just published a podcast yesterday about like the likeness between music and the way that industry uh, works in esports, and how like Patrick and We Are Nations is revolutionising the way that um, merchandising happens in esports because uh, it's right. it's something that I think, and and I guess we'll get into this with the content, but it's something that everyone talks about, but no one understands. I think everyone, everyone wants to launch a streetwear line because they see that streetwear is cool. But no one really knows what it means, nor you know has the proper distribution. But back, but keep I guess keeping on track. Like so, obviously yeah. you've moved from you've moved from AirAsia to, to EVOS. So you've moved from yeah. a company who's got twenty thousand plus employees, like you said. You got quite a comfortable position there with what you're doing. You know the company's growing from all reports mm-hmm. that I've seen as well. It's, yeah. it's come into Australia recently, doing international flights even out of here now. So why, why move it from a professional, personal standpoint? Why move from this massive corporation to someone quite small who's just comparatively, who's just raised some money? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, to be fair, I was in the aviation line for about seven years now in various roles, um, about seven roles in total also in Air mm-hmm. Asia. So I realized it was like um, time to move on. I didn't want to get stuck in my comfort zone. Uh, I've done quite a lot of uh, stuff in esports with Azure, with all my fellow colleagues. And uh, I felt that, you know, it was time to move, you know. I wanted to go deeper into esports, And uh, Evo's kind of like uh, offered me the opportunity. I met up with uh, Ivan, the CEO of uh, and co-founder of Evo's. And mm-hmm. it's like, hey, um, Alan, do you want to try this position? We have an opening uh, for regional head of marketing and PR. Uh, they want to elevate the Evo's brand further. I'm just sharing with you, uh, Evos is well-known among the community in Southeast Asia and also brands that they've been working with. But um, out of Southeast Asia, they are not that known yet to the market. The example, compared to the other teams from the U.S., right? Even in the Southeast Asia, we know about them. So mm. um, I'm helping to elevate their profile as well. And since I've had the opportunity to travel around the world, I kind of like uh, understand um, how it works in a way. Yeah, and I wanted to mm. jump on it. And I say there's no better time than now. And uh, after everything that's been happening coincidentally with this COVID-19 and all that, is um kind of impacting the airline industry as well. So I'm thankful for this uh, opportunity in the esports world. And as you see the re- reports that we've seen, esports is really growing in these times, right? More people mm. are staying home. So there's more opportunities to engage the audience.
0: Yeah, there's like a there's like a contingent or a, a group of people that watch my content following my LinkedIn and the podcast that I think, once again, could take note from quite a few things we talked about at the start of this. Another one is you saying like working in a parallel industry for a long time before you can mm-hmm. go fully into esports. Like for me, I did the same thing. I did six years in PR marketing, working oh. with Thermaltake and, and Corsair. I was a year and a half as a journalist. But throughout all that time, I tried to do as much esports as I could. You know, when I was at Thermaltake, my esports was probably 25%, which was awesome. But at Corsair, my esports was 5%, if that, just sponsoring one team in Australia and just doing the maintenance with that. But the whole time it was, how can I build these skills, experience, and professional contacts to then be able Mm -hmm. to go full into it? And I guess another fantastic example there, like I said, is Walter Wang from HTC. He's -hmm. now the head of operations at TSM. And it was the same nice. thing, you know. He was just a fan of esports. He got HTC into that, and then he was able to go to one of his favorite teams of all time and work full time into that. You know, we've seen that, we've seen that in so many different capacities now that it's okay. You don't have to be nineteen and be upset because <laughs> some fifteen year olds earning fifty thousand dollars a month streaming uh, uh-huh. Call of Duty or streaming Fortnite. You know, sometimes you need to bide your time, and and those professional experiences can really help you. Some awesome advice from from one of my friends who works in NVIDIA here, the senior marketing manager Natalie Cooper, is like you can't, you can't buy the experience that working in a corporate environment gives you. And it brings so much experience that you can then bring across to any other startup. So if you can like quote unquote do your time, like I worked for two years at Corsair and I really got to see how an American company works in the back end, how they run their meetings, what kind of software do they use in the back end? How do they do their reporting? What do they care about? How do their finance processes work? So now that I know on the other side that if I'm pitching Corsair, I know that Australia reports to Taiwan and I know what the Taiwanese culture cares about. And I know what the whole brand cares about because it's got that US kind of culture versus when I worked at Thermaltake for four years. I know what they're likely to pay for something. I know what their financial processes are and they're a Taiwanese company. So their branding and their products and their messaging are different to the way that Corsair works fundamentally. But I would have never had any of that info if I just went straight from being a commentator like I was straight into the professional esports world.
1: I totally agree with you, Chris. Um, even likewise, my time in Asia, seven years is actually my first company that I worked with. Previously in paintball, mm. I was doing 10 years, my own, uh, company as an entrepreneur. So I got to see both sides of the coin as an entrepreneur and seven years in the corporate world. And now kind mm. of coming back to a startup world, it's like one big circle. And I got to learn different skill sets, um, talking to corporate people in a corporate lingo. And, uh, I hope, uh, with, uh, me on board in EVOS, I can help close the gap in uh, for EVOS and also esports in general.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I think one of the other really important things that you did well is, is just taking, taking control of things. And usually within a company, if you say, Hey, I really think this is a great idea and I want to do it. They'll just let you do it. And that's, you know, it's the same entrepreneurial mindset that you did on a very smaller scale. You know, I started doing commentary with an online radio station uh, in one game, Battlefield 2. And I started playing Counter-Strike Source and these guys didn't commentate that. So I said, Hey, can I do it? I said, Well, if you, if you're going to take on the responsibility, yeah, go and do it. And then I wanted to start doing reviews of video games. So they said, Yeah, right. if you want to do it, you can do it. So I started doing that. And then I started partnering with local uh, gaming events and I would promote them and they would promote us. And, you know, so I just started to gain so much more skills and experience within that company. And then what I've seen in the past is people doing that. All of a sudden, they're a director and they're only like 23 years old. And every other director is like 45 uh, because they've just made themselves a job in that position. Like how many people came to a company first and said, Hey, Coca-Cola, you guys really need to get on social media. And they went, No, Facebook's stupid. There's no reason. But now they're the expert, and they're the person that's able to catapult. You know, just using them as an example, goal they're able to catapult them like into that range. And if you're the person that led them in that area, it makes perfect sense that they would keep you there to lead that project as you go on.
1: I think um, on top of that, Chris, just sharing my personal experience before learning about esports, when I got involved in it, and when you actually attend a live event, the crowd, the energy, I'm like, so this is what esports feels like. You know, when you taste it, yeah. once you get that taste. You just want more of it. And that's what happened to me. I'm like, okay, I want to taste more of esports. spots.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's it's a killer. Like as an ex-player sometimes, <laughs> I hate going to like Intel Extreme Masters tournaments because, you know, some of like the 100 Thieves guys and the Renegades guys, I used to play against them and I was better than them, you know, back in the day. And it, and it stings sometimes. You're like, oh, that should be me on that stage. And you just feel like, like you said, the energy in the room. And it was really interesting talking to like basketball people because they see so much... Um, likeness between Mm. them. Like if you look at the NBL here in Australia, you know, there's fireworks, there's flames, obviously, you know, there's confetti, but not at the same time or light the place on fire, but there's music, you know, even while plays are happening, there's music happening and the crowd's thundering and it's dark and you get that atmosphere. So it's like, yeah, it's just such a cool experience. And it really like, if you can bring an executive to that, you can see their eyes light up Mm. straight away because they go, wow, this is so much more than just, you know, nerdy, nerdy, are fat people <laughs> sitting in a basement, you know, eating, and drinking Mountain Dew and playing games. Like these are real people, drinking beer, having fun, meeting up with friends, you know, males, females, people from 15 to 50 years old, all having a great time.
1: I feel that any brand that's listening right now, if you get an opportunity and chance after all the lockdowns, uh, go attend an esports event. You definitely need to feel it, to know it. You, you can't just keep reading reports and uh, without feeling the energy because energy you can't yeah. see it online you need to feel it yourself
0: yeah and you get in for free because any any esports event <laughs> will, wants more brands like you said it's about growing the industry like you can talk to anyone yeah. for free in this industry they'll give you an hour of consultancy mm-hmm. for free it, it, pretty much anyone will do right. that um and you know just get the information that you need and Make your decisions after that. So, what does your position look like at Evos now versus like what it did at uh, AirAsia? You, have you changed like the way that you're working?
1: Uh, a bit. I'm more startup role now, so I need to like implement things from ground zero and uh, connect more with industry folks from a different perspective and also with brands. So last time with AirAsia, there was limitations. I can't really talk to other brands because I'm already representing AirAsia, right? Mm. Um, and some brands will look at me in caution like, why is Ellen uh, talking to us or wanting to talk to us? Right now, it's different. I'm uh, wholly 100% eSports, and uh, it makes me easier to move around, to talk to brands especially, mm. and uh, they're more open to talk to me. So, uh, so it's more different right now. Um, Now I get to go all in into eSports and really uh, go all in and see what's it all about. Because previously, it was kind of like still skimming the surface in my head. I was already really getting deeper, but not deep enough. And then getting to Emos mm. eSports makes it, you know, the real deal, all in.
0: Ha. The real deal, all in. Do we call it the real McCoy yeah. in Australia? That's a saying that's <laughs> for you. The real McCoy. The real deal, the real McCoy. Yeah. I found like for me personally, I found something really interesting moving from working at a corporation to working a startup and you have to change your thinking in what exposure and what public perception can this bring me to what money can this bring me? And I remember having that conversation with, you know, one of my other directors about that as well. Like Mm -hmm. I've come up with this awesome concept. You know, I've got these sponsors on board. They're going to cover the costs. And then he goes, Chris, how the hell is this going to make any money? And I go, you're right. It's not I don't have that standard wage that's coming through by selling Corsair products anymore. You know, because in the past it was right. all just about covering costs. Like if you could do a marketing campaign that costs you zero dollars besides your employee wage time, like that's fantastic as a corporation. <laughs> because you've got, you know, let's say you're part you're Air Asia, you partner with Razor and you run a twenty thousand dollar campaign and they pay twenty thousand dollars into that, you're like, that's fantastic. All it's costing is mm-hmm. my time. I get all this exposure, you know, I get all these new social media followers, but it's not It's not about that anymore. A lot of the time when you're a startup, you can't just do a philanthropy thing. Like sure, yes, you can do some charity stuff. That's perfectly fine. But you can't operate a business by just breaking even on direct campaign costs. You've got to pay for facilities. You've got to pay for staff. And you also have to make some money to be able to grow and things like that too. I'm interested in learning from you. Like you know, you're, you're, what, a few weeks, right, into the job now? Like, have you seen any yeah. big mentality change shifts in yourself? Um,
1: sorry, in, in, for example?
0: Like, have you have you seen any major processes or ways that you've done things that had to be completely different? Like, if you had to throw any old thinking out the window? Has there been any massive challenges for you so far in the moveover?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, back then in Asia, you have different tiers of approval process and to just get one post-hub, for example, over here, yeah. it's more flatter than I thought, right? So I need to unlearn to relearn, you know. So yeah. definitely, everything is flat here. So I really need to be on the go. Boom, boom, boom. It's like next. You can't just like uh. There's no like waiting for approvals. It's direct um communication with your colleague and CEOs and get things done on the on the move. Everything's done on mm. the fly, and especially now in times of uh, working from home, you just need to be disciplined and go mobile, you know.
0: Yeah, one thing I'd, I probably should have got you to do as well is can you give us the elevator pitch on, on EVOS, like who you are, like basic history, like what, what services that you provide in the esports market?
1: Sure. Like our EVOS, it was founded by four co-founders, Ivan, Michael, Hartman, and Wesley. And right now we have about 12 esports teams with three hundred gaming influencers across Southeast Asia. Uh, the numbers hopefully doesn't scare you. It's about, we have about 65 million YouTube subscribers uh, in total, 50 million of our Instagram followers and 350 million views per month. I've sent some of the stats to uh, you, Chris. So you can uh, mm-hmm. check it out. Also, some of our sponsors on board right now from various uh, verticals from telco, we have Axis, e commerce, we have Lazara, instant noodles, we have Pop-Me. uh, and a sponsor for Beans Sucro, uh, Deodorant X, famous global brand, Top Coffee, nemo tv our live streaming sponsor and for pizza we have domino's pizza and uh, fsa esports management academy it's a esports uh, education group so uh we also won the m1 mobile legends world cup last year it's a worldwide event and we were the champions and also the free fire world cup and uh, esports is really growing big right now especially in southeast asia with the mobile division and uh, we've seen a lot of numbers coming up. Um, like uh, we won second place in uh, Mobile Legends Indonesia, MPL, Mobile Legends Professional League. And that was viewed over a million views just for the finals.
0: Mm. Yeah, I really wanted to ask you, and we didn't talk about this before, is, is mobile esports sure. in Southeast Asia is is mobile esports a replacement for PC esports or is it an addition? Like as you're seeing mobile esports grow, are you seeing PC shrink or is it just adding to the pie as a whole?
1: Okay. I'm going to be honest here yeah, and I don't want to like offend or, you know, ruff, ruffle any feathers. <laughs> PC will still be around. Yeah. Uh, It's just that the numbers, uh, we've seen it kind of like slow down compared to mobile, right? And that is a fact. Mm-hmm. You can just Google it and you get the answer straight away. Anyone who does it. But, uh, we can see it happening in front of our eyes. You know, everyone has a phone and, uh, the market here is, uh, reacts differently. The culture here is different. I mean, just to mm. share again, I've been a lot of uh, conferences in the U S Europe. Their The, uh, vocabulary is different. You're like, Alan, we're from the States. Uh, we're into esports league of legends fortnite overwatch so mm. call, of, call of duty that's their language right but it's fair because that's what's popular over there so yeah. esports is kind of like a localization regional thing um like uh, mobile legends free fire pubg mobile is really popular here i'm sure dota is still popular but mm. among a more matured audience compared to the the other games mm. australia you have uh CSGO is still popular, right? you got a
0: uh, Yeah. And we... Like, I mean, like, for, for us here... Like, like, for me, a lot of my work now is in the US. But as far as the Australian industry goes, we're pretty much a copy-paste of America. Like, if you're thinking about what uh, products we purchase, at what price, like, all very similar. Even, like, how much, you know, right. uh, how much the companies are selling. You know, we, we've got about 8% of the population. And, like, we're all, we're all pretty copy-pasted there. So, yeah, you know, League of Legends, okay. CSGO would be the two biggest esports titles. Warzone's really popular right now. Obviously, Fortnite's always... Is really popular but yeah it's been an interesting thing for me seeing that because people mm. in australia always talk about how can we build like that connection between southeast asia and australia mm. to like play games and i keep having to tell people like we don't play the same games So we can't like, yes, there are some Counter-Strike teams over there, but it's not the same because it's not, it's Mm Counter-Strike isn't like that tier one title. Like it is here in Australia. It's not the biggest esports title. Mm -hmm. And we don't have mobile legends, bang bang teams in Australia. We don't have clash of the clans. Like we do have some players, but we don't have world-class teams really in Australia to play against Southeast Asia. So that link is not there. And it's funny because I think people forget that a lot, that Australia is basically in Southeast Asia. We're like right next to it. We're nowhere, we're nowhere near America. We're nowhere <laughs> near England. But it's, it's just funny that we're, we're still that culture. We're still that very westernized, Americanized culture.
1: Yeah, I think uh, also the service, you know, there's a limitation of service And the ping mm. is very high. So it really depends. And uh, mm. yeah, it'd be interesting if uh, Australia gets to play Mobile Legends or PUBG Mobile. We can have a friendly match.
0: <laughs> well, I know that some I know that some people in Darwin, like in the Northern Territory and over in Western Australia uh-huh. are trying to work on some of those connections because they're quite close. It's like right. cheaper and quicker to fly, I think, from Darwin to Bali than it is Darwin to Melbourne you know, from pretty all That's from right. Perth to, you know, from Perth to the Philippines versus Perth to Melbourne, which is the other side of Australia. Um, and it, similar here, it's cheaper for me to fly to New Zealand than it is to Perth. It's cheaper for me to go international than right. it is to, <laughs> to the other side of Australia. So, you know, Australia is a massive, a massive country, but it's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see those connections. So so for you with, with EVOS as well, one thing that I have uh, written in the bio for this LinkedIn Live as well as talked about is that you guys recently raised a bunch of money. $4.4 4. 4 million. The, is, is that amount of money common, like within the Southeast Asian market? And are a lot of other teams raising capital right now? I know I talked to Flash um, before, uh, to Terence on some, on a podcast, and he said he was raising capital. But I haven't seen as much capital raising news out of Southeast Asia, especially as you see with America. Every week, there's a new $30 million round.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's crazy over there in the US. So Southeast Asia, there's still a lot of uh, room to close the gaps. Um we're actually one of the largest, and you're right. Uh, the next closest uh, would be Team Flash, and not many esports team have gone that route. Uh, most likely, I personally believe is because of the barrier to entry and putting the foundation right and meeting the right investors, etc. Um, mm. In US, the market is more mature, even compared to Europe. Right? You just, uh, I believe, like Face Clan raised a few million, quite a lot actually, uh, last mm. week, and even TSM mentioned about their new gaming house, right?
0: Yeah, $50 million facility. Yeah, crazy. I
1: know. So I believe different market size, but there's a lot of potential in Southeast Asia. I look at the numbers and the views because uh, we, you know mostly here we are all on mobile and mm. uh, younger generation are more connected as well. So definitely there's a lot of room for growth in the next few years. It's just a matter of getting the right people on board. And EVOS, when I did... a you know, doing my due diligence back then, I noticed that wow, well, the founders are connected and they know what they are doing. That's the most important, right? Mm. And uh, yeah. that helps a lot because you don't want to join a company that doesn't know what they're doing or they're not really uh, passionate about esports. Then uh, you think twice.
0: Yeah, where where does the money come from right now in Southeast Asian esports? Is it the same as the West? Is it sponsorship and and publishers?
1: Uh, mostly sponsorships and also live streaming deals. Um, publishers mostly they support uh a, um, a minimum a bare minimum if i may say but uh yeah okay it, yeah so it's a bit different because we have different publishers here for different games uh so mostly it still comes from the sponsors and live streaming deals
0: mm. and yeah. is is there anything else that's that's growing within the market right now like how does how does merchandise fare or you know selling memberships for teams or anything like that
1: uh mostly merchandise is still picking up um like we do well in thailand and indonesia um, okay. Across the rest of the markets, their spending power is less, so we need to have a different pi- price point or different mm. goods. Uh, like, for example, in Thailand, the fans are really passionate. I was there before joining Evos, and it's like the finals mm. of the uh, ROV tournament back then. And the fans like you gra- know moving around; they're like trying to get in line. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to get to that line, you know, to grab the merchandise and pay for it. Yeah, okay. so I just got just got to wait at the side and watch the fans go crazy, right? <laughs> So, uh, so when you're down on the ground as a brand, you notice that things are different compared to just reading the reports. And uh, for merchandise, a lot of potential. Um, just at the price point here, I believe the spending power may be not as much yet compared to the U.S. or Europe.
0: Yeah, and, and like you said, it's, there's so many countries, right? Like often we lump Southeast Asia as one, but there's so many mm-hmm. different countries and so many different languages, so how does it fare for you as an eSports team trying to get across all of those countries and languages? Like it's pretty easy in the West because majority of people speak English. You know, even in Germany, a lot of people speak English. France, a lot of people speak English. So if you're a team like Vitality based in France, a lot of your content can go in English. But what about for you guys when you've got so many different things to tackle?
1: Uh, that's a good question, Chris. Um, even before joining Evos, I kind of like uh, did a market research and when I joined Evos, I noticed it's true that uh, every country they respond differently. So you need to be localized languages. So for League of Legends team, we have our own Facebook page for them. Um, for like in Indonesia, they mostly consume uh, their content on YouTube. So they're more we are more YouTube focused over there. And uh, like for Malaysia, Singapore, they are more on like Facebook. So so each market reacts differently and also the language, right? So in Vietnam, they speak Vietnamese. So you need to have your content in Vietnamese. You have it in English or other languages, they they just can't resonate with you. And for Indonesia, you need Bahasa Indonesia. In uh, Malaysia, Singapore, it's okay. They they speak English. They understand English. And in Thailand, you need to be in Thai. Thai language. You cannot do it in English, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: it's a challenge, but uh, you need to localize it. That's why we have local country managers as well.
0: Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. And I guess, and is that where you fit in, like is in regards to internal company structure, you're the regional. So does that mean you look after all of the local marketing managers within SEA? Yeah, I'll be
1: working together with them to uh, craft more regional campaigns. Of course, right yep. now it's all localized and try to make it like an umbrella campaign sort of thing.
0: The other interesting thing you said too was you listed off like a lot of your sponsors and I, I didn't really hear any traditional, um, or endemic sponsors in that, in that list as well. So I guess two, two questions from that. Number one is, is that common in the market where there's so many of these non-endemic sponsors coming in? Like the food, you mentioned, you know, in, instant noodles, you mentioned pizza, um, you mentioned payment gateways yeah. and things like that too. Like it's very non-conventional. Whereas, if you were to even like we were talking about phase before we started going live and some of their comments and if you look at phase you know most of their sponsors are traditional but then every now and then you've got a Nissan added on to the end of that but you guys are literally the opposite i don't hear any hyperx i didn't hear any steel series any razor anything like that any intel
1: right now um like for indonesia market they're getting more matured and uh, they're more open to it so, like, um, some of the brands you heard mostly came from Indonesia. Um, okay. for Domino's Pizza is our Malaysia Singapore division. So, um, uh, definitely there are sponsors coming in, but you know, like the the way how they allocate their budgets, um, when they look to Southeast Asia, it's a different budget versus like the US or Europe. They based on the country's GDP, for example. So they will allocate accordingly. So the amount may not be as big as what you see in the US, like uh. Team Liquid and uh, for Alienware, for example,
0: right? Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, and I guess that's it's. You know, I'm trying to trying to think while I'm asking these questions. While I'm stumbling a little bit, but it's just a really interesting. It's really interesting, like challenge and benefit you guys have at the same time, with all these different languages, and it's and it's always balancing up that fact of yes, there may be more people, but obviously the the CPM is lower because they've got less spending power. And, you know, they're not purchasing mm-hmm. the same high quality, high margin products because the average wage is so much lower over there, you know, compared to some of the West countries. And it's mm. it's an interesting balancing act because, you, you know, you see so much on um, social media, people just talking about numbers and that's it. They just talk about like, You know, Dota 2 had a 35 million dollar prize pool, and that's a—it's an article headline, yes, but what does that actually mean? And what does that? Sure, League of Legends prize pool is only four million, but League of Legends employs hundreds of staff all over the world and has a very solid, robust competitive ecosystem. Where Dota 2's competitive ecosystem is very minimal, and similar with Southeast Asia, like you know, you might have um, so many more people watching these live streams on Facebook. but What does that actually mean for purchasing power? How much money are these live streamers earning versus others? And The other interesting thing too that we talked about a bit is the amount of capital raised. So obviously you guys raised 4.4, which is the highest. You know, Flash, um, I can't remember if that amount was public or not, and he told me this, but I don't want to say it just in case it's not. You know, they raised some money as well, but it's nowhere near this $30 million round. It's nowhere near this $50 million facility. So do you think that part of that is the fact that um, Southeast Asia Is more infant as a market versus overseas. Do you think it's because they're lower spending? It's mobile only. Like, like what? What's some of the formula that makes that stuff up? Help, help my thoughts make sense.
1: (laughs) I think um, it depends. You know, if if uh, you, I I noticed this as a brand before even joining Evos, right? That some uh, some uh, esports organizations or different verticals of the esports sector were like pitching esports as a conversion, which is. Difficult, right? If you talk about awareness, the marketing funnel, if you talk about the top, the eyeballs, definitely esports has it. I even talked to other uh, digital marketing uh, consultants and from the digital marketing industry. And they sh- when mm. you look at the esports numbers, they're like, wow, those eyeballs uh, is like every digital marketer's dream, right? Talk to yeah. social media people, even across different brands, like, wow, that's a lot, right? But when you talk about conversion uh, in general, Esports is not there yet per se, but we'll get there. Hmm. It's just about finding that formula, which uh, everyone is trying to find that secret sauce. Um, Simply because um, everyone watches esports, the young generation, but converting them, that is the question, right? Conversion. So if uh, esports team or organization or different vertical organizer goes to a sponsor, potential sponsor and say, oh, we guarantee you X amount of conversion. That's super scary, right? It might ruin mm-hmm. the whole in- industry. I'll give a bad name to esports and the brand might, mm-hmm. I don't want to go to esports anymore. I spent X amount on this uh, event or tournament or team and they promised X amount of conversion and it didn't turn out so well. Yeah, so you don't want to go down that route per se. You want to guarantee stuff that you, you, don't, you want to uh, over-deliver and uh, you don't want to over-promise, you know? So you mm-hmm. need to be careful about that. Uh, you talk about esports, to brands. You talk about awareness, eyeballs. Definitely, that can happen because we've seen the numbers. And even like for example, on Evos YouTube channel, we have close to ten million views already in the last thirty days, and a total of eighty-six million views today just on the channel alone. And some of our uh, talents like Emperor, he has close to three hundred and thirty over million views and close to twenty million views in the last thirty days. And like another one, Dylan Pros. 660 million views and over 30 million views in the last 30 days. So, mm-hmm. I mean, show that to a potential sponsor. They're like, oh, okay, it's already happening. But if you tell a sponsor, oh, we can sell X amount of your products or million of your products, oh, that's so scary, man. <laughs> you don't want to go down yeah.
0: that route. Yeah, and, and you're definitely saying and, the same stuff that, um, that FaZe Clan's chief revenue officer said on the podcast as well is that, you know, that's his concern is that if you go to an NFL team, um, they can say, Yes, Toyota, I can provide you with an eight percent uplift in sales. And Toyota can go, okay, that's, you know, that's going to provide me with that experience. And I I I tweeted this, I think, recently, out of out of frustration and and also talked about it on my Oceania eSports and gaming business Facebook group, which is a long name to get out. And saying that I need more case studies as a marketer in this space. I find it really hard. Even influencer agencies don't have case Mm. studies for me. A direct example is I worked with uh, like one of our clients at Unicorn, a betting client. So definitely case studies are paramount with working with them. How many accounts or conversions do you think that your influencer or client can bring across? And the amount of channels that have worked with betting clients in the past that don't have any stats to provide to me is almost mind-boggling. It's like I need something. Like I can't just give you money off hopes and dreams. Like I'm, you know, As a brand or representing a brand, I'm not an investor. So I don't care about what the whole market is. I don't care about how much money BetEasy paid. I don't care about how much money this person won in a tournament. I care about what can you convert for me for a brand? And I think that that's a big thing that, you know, needs to come into the future. And maybe this is part of why phase is locking through so many deals right now. Maybe they are, I don't have their deck, but maybe they are proving and have some sort of provable asset. And part of that could be because they have so many influencers like you guys do as well. It's much easier to track direct ROI. And yes, like if you're DHL or if you're Tesla, you probably don't care about direct. Um, you know ROI, but where you are at the moment in esports, there's a lot of startups in this space. And you know, if you've raised a couple million dollars and you need to make, you know, I'm working with a startup at the moment that needs to go from zero to a million dollar sales, and they want us as an agency to help them do that. Like they need to make that million dollar sales. So it doesn't matter how many YouTube views I get them or anything. Like I need to have some conversion for them to come through too. And I think that's a barrier that we all need to really work towards getting through.
1: I think, like, uh, I feel personally that, uh, let's say I'm a brand, right? If I spend X amount of dollars on a Facebook ad, for example, a thousand US dollars on a Facebook ad versus a thousand dollars on an esports team or their, or their KOL or talent management team, right? And mm-hmm. you can see definitely esports, the engagement will be much higher, per se. And mm-hmm. also, the engagement is legit, it's real. It's not some fake uh, profile. Commenting on the sponsored posts, you know, which usually you get on certain yeah. platforms. Yeah. So yeah. definitely, if a marketer, but the, the the problem here lies, I personally believe, even in Southeast Asia, is the perception and mentality of these marketers. Um, like I said before, and I say it again, majority of them are more uh, senior and not so exposed yet to esports, so they're kind of careful, and just uh, they go with the flow, you know, comfort zone. Mm. And Okay, we always do what we do. Nobody is going to question us, and uh, everything's fine. So it's all about uh, taking the next step and uh, taking this uh, low risk. You can maybe use X amount for experiential marketing, which uh, even a recent article on Forbes, BMW did it, and mm. you can see they even quoted the BMW representative saying that they are going to like slow down on other experiential marketing budgets on conferences and trade shows which already slowed down due to COVID-19, for example. And they're going to focus mm. more on uh, online uh, content.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that, that definitely makes sense. And I guess, like like adding to what you said as well, one thing that we've done, even with this betting client, is a bit of a compromise. So they're measuring influencers versus Facebook, but they've added around 15%, 20% onto the customer acquisition price. Because obviously, there's a bit more, like just a Facebook ad doesn't build you as a brand, right? But working mm. with, uh, let's say you're with ninja there's still benefits that come through there's social media followers that can, that can come through there's brand affiliation there's endorsements yeah. and endorsement of your product and or service that comes through as well so that's that's kind of where we hit the thing with them is like let's take this CPM up it by 20% and then try to hit that with these influencers because that's some of the pushback I even got from an e-tailer who we were going to work with they said to me straight they like chris we spend a million dollars a month on Google ads but I know exactly mm-hmm. that I can spend a million and I can get back x amount and these guys are a low margin high amount of traffic through and these guys even buy billboards so they're very you know and they and they make the billboards work for them which is surprising but they're very very cost conscious but they were very hesitant to even spend five thousand dollars on an influencer campaign unless i could say to them you're going to get at least four thousand back you know, through the data that I have. And that, that's a, that's an interesting barrier to try to, to try to cover and understanding that there are some awesome brands like BMW and stuff that can afford to do those ones. But that's definitely another barrier that I'd, that I'd love to, I'd love to be able to break, you know, break through as well. And another interesting thing that I talked yesterday, I've got a, Good friend of mine, Ben Parsons, who um, runs a runs a sports and mainly conference company, and also a media company here in Australia. But he's a previous executive at a at a company um, at a media company as well. And he said to me very basically, he said the thing, the reason why all these TV channels, radio stations, newspapers sell so much more than say esports, even though they're old and they're dying, and you know all those kind of things, is they just make it easy. He said from, from his thought, no one in esports yet makes it easy enough. You can't go to, mm. to a brand and say, I will get you on the equivalent of 20 newspapers, 10 websites, and 20 TV <laughs> stations if you just pay me this one $10 million payment and I'll just process it all for you. Cause it's so fragmented uh, right now. It requires the brand to do their own research and to be like, should I work with this influencer or this one? Should I work with Ninja or tofui And then should I sponsor phase or cloud nine? And then who manages this one? And I got to work with an agency here and there. And it's just like, so confusing. Whereas, you know, a media organization can come to you and say, I'll get you on, you know, two different news programs. I'll get you ads during the bachelor and I'll get you on 20 local newspapers all for this one price. We'll do all the ads for you. We'll do all of the content for mm. you. You just have to do the basic approval. And I think that makes, that makes a lot of sense for me because. You know working with a brand say like unicorn we had a great budget there but it just became so confusing uh-huh. when i have to work i work with some influencers directly i work with some through an agency i work with some through an agency through an agency and then it just becomes so confusing to manage everything i just need like a single point of contact that i can chuck the dollars into and even mm. if the conversion isn't as good the amount of man hours that i don't waste like like makes things so much easier
1: Yeah i totally agree with you i resonate with you when i was from a brand site, i can't imagine working like with 20 different accounts of 20 different influencers, for example, you wanted like a one-stop solution, right? One size fit all. Okay, you handle everything from A to Z. Don't give me the headache. You take Mm -hmm. the headache. I'm paying you to handle the headache.
0: Exactly. And and that's where it came from, from Unicorn. You know, a lot of it was, for instance, one of the co-founders. And I had Carl, uh, I'm friends with Carl, but I had the other co-founder, Rahul, on the podcast. For anyone who uh, Ah, hasn't listened to that, please go back and listen. I was pretty much starstruck that whole time. The guy... Mm like invented Microsoft's VC arm. Like that's that's enough to say that someone should go back and and listen to it. But, you know, basically they came... Well, not them, but their marketing head came to me, and the, the point was, Chris, this is too hard. This influencer stuff's too confusing. Can you please help? <laughs> but even for me, it's hard, and I'm in the know. Like, if it's hard for me, how impossible is it for, you know, a Pizza Hut to come into the space? It's <laughs> got to, and that's that's the barrier that I find a lot of the time. And I think there are people doing great work like yourself. You know, I try to do it as well, and others to really break down that easy explanation. But I'm finding this now, even mm. with my work. We're doing some work with KPMG here in Australia with some of their directors, mm-hmm. and you know they've got big clients, oh, nice. mining and government and all that kind of stuff. But even then, mm. still sometimes it's hard. Like if a if a big bank comes to me and says, "All right, Chris, here's twenty million dollars," like it's it's so hard to be like, where exactly do I put that? Because it requires so much mm. hands on work. And if you're going to give me twenty million, I'm probably going to have to run my own tournament. Like I almost can't. Like <laughs> it, it's it's kind of like. Imagine going into like you know a small village in Indonesia and being like, I want to spend ten million dollars on houses. Well, you can't. There's not even ten million dollars of houses there. It's more than you buy the whole thing. So you know, it's it's some of my frustration, I guess, coming out in saying that I think Ben's right and annoyingly so because I hate telling him he's right. But sometimes like things just need to be easier to buy for these brands to get in. Yeah, I think yeah, that will come where. Well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think you're right there. Uh, it's definitely a gap that needs to be closed. And uh, you see even more agency people coming to the esports world. So hopefully that will help. I believe like even mm-hmm. in this time, right, it's not about competition. It's about collaboration and putting yeah. resources together. You need to grow the pie bigger. Right now, the pie is like a bit here, a bit there. It's all sporadic so we mm. need to like uh come together and have one voice and say that you know this is esports and what mm. can it do for you you know yeah so yeah. you have a bunch of articles coming out on Forbes CNN on and off but those are more like uh, uh seasonal you know
0: yeah yeah coronavirus seasonal and I, a lot of the time they don't yeah. they don't provide a solution right and that's and that's mm. what i found too that I, I'm taking it on myself to provide more solutions rather than yeah. just numbers because you could say, yes, Formula One is in eSports now. Yes, supercars, NASCAR, IndyCar, yeah. they're in eSports. But then some, uh-huh. you know, small drag racing organization or Speedway is sitting there going, well, that's nice, but I don't have yeah. $50 million to run a Formula One car. Like what the <laughs> hell can I do? And, you know, we're working with baseball here locally to be like, how can we get their thousands of members to to interact but they don't have the same budgets that nascar do you know their baseball in australia it's much much smaller you know they have like eight staff or something like that so i think part of it is not is, is the onus on everyone sharing this info it's not just about here's this amazing thing where phase did where they just signed on 30 influencers. <laughs> maybe it's here's this amazing thing they did but also here's what you can do with five thousand dollars if you're a mm-hmm. if you're an angel investor with twenty thousand dollars, here's what you can do. If You're a small butcher, local butcher brand. You know you don't just have to look at DHL case studies. Like, what can you do to get into the market? I think I think the onus is on all of us to share like more solutions rather than just you know poising um, kind of um, like fake questions or rhetorical questions at people.
1: Yeah. Also, I feel the media plays an important role, especially mainstream media. Although we may say yeah, mainstream media is there, but it's mm. to Connect and target those who need to know, you know, decision makers. I and mean, when uh, my yeah. mom sees uh, esports uh, uh, on the TV, like, oh, Alan, wow, esports is big, it's on the TV. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so their perception is different, the, yeah. the uh, more senior yeah, generation. You're so right.
0: Yeah, you're so right. I had a friend the other day who works a lot with government. And he, he told me about a media list that he got sent through from, from the government to like, who should see the, the stuff, the campaign they're working on together. And he was like, man, you wouldn't believe like it's mainly, you know, newspapers and TV, but that's, that's who these guys are reading. Like if you're mm. a, if you're a, like you grew up knowing what you know, right? And that's mm-hmm. why so many of these companies would be sponsoring a football team because the person who's 65, who's the global head of brand marketing has grown up with football his whole life or baseball or something like that and they haven't esports didn't exist when he was a kid in the 50s in the 60s you know the similar with my with my parents as well you know they were born in the 60s like they didn't grow up with games games simply weren't a thing that existed then so they're much more likely to be inclined to follow the australian football league or or something like that too so we just don't have those you know those opportunities like available to us and you're right like i had a great chat with um a talent manager, Grace from Click Management, who managed some mega influencers here in Australia, and you know she was saying the same thing too. Like one day, one of her talent rang her. They were like, "Oh, I was on the, I was on the morning news." And she's like, "Come on, you get, you get more reach in a day than that morning news radio station does in a month." But it meant so much to that person that they were on right. that news channel. It, it made them legitimate. It made them real. And and even like I had my mom, She sent me an article yesterday about oh, about okay. esports. And I was like, "Well, now I know this article is truly mainstream because she's seen it and she shared it with me."
1: <laughs> right, same man. I'm going through the same experience here, and uh, I I believe like even Reuters and uh, even uh, Bloomberg, they've just hired some uh, gaming people to write. Oh, on their wow! Pack. Okay article uh, Bloomberg yeah. just came out um, yesterday. It came out on Kotaku. They hired uh, the a gaming journalist to join their tech team to talk more about oh, gaming wow. and hopefully esports. So you see that happening. Uh, even, of course, yeah. you got ESPN going full on, you know, with the Valorant.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, ESPN, they've done a fantastic job, right? Compared to, because there's so many of these other sports organizations that have tried, like sports mm-hmm. media <clears throat> orgs that have tried to get into that and, and failed yeah. miserably. But I think ESPN seems to be doing a fantastic job. So what's Like, like, what's what's day to day look like for for Alan now with this with the regional marketing job that you've taken? How, like, how many weeks are you into it?
1: Uh, It's probably my my uh, third week, third week plus. Started Mm -hmm. on uh, around first week of April, and uh, I'm more to like connecting with a lot of brands. Also, you know, since I came from the brand world, and also with the media people, journalists, as well as uh, contacting mainstream mainstream media to. Share about esports in general and also about eVos. There's a lot of opportunities still because uh, we think that esports is a big thing, right? But there's many people out there who are at the other end of the spectrum, <laughs> so that's why we need to connect with them. Um, e- even just to share a quick one, I was talking about uh, mainstream media. You got Reuters coming in, even uh, Bloomberg, and uh, mm-hmm. even uh, Guardian has their own esports vertical now. So mm-hmm. it's getting really big, and I hope it's the same even for Australia. And uh, I'm trying to also educate in Southeast Asia. And we have a few esports journalists who are in mainstream media already. And some of them are gamers. Um, Yeah. And I just want to share a quick one also. Like corporates, they're having their own esports tournaments now since there's a lockdown, right? And you still need Mm. to connect with your colleagues. So maybe you can do something in Australia.
0: Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 I've I've definitely seen some like that because even, you know, I think it was the example from KPMG. What What do they have? A couple couple thousand staff in australia mm-hmm. like i mean that's more than so many esports tournaments have <laughs> as a whole yeah. there's people playing in them yeah and i think like i definitely wanted to touch on what you said before as well i think it's very important there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of disrespect i think from mm-hmm. esports and influencer people towards traditional media you know we have this golden nugget we've got this awesome <laughs> new thing that's growing you know you guys are going to be dead soon you suck but without realizing that like, yeah, you can shit on them all you want, but they've got mm-hmm. thousands of employees. They're churning hundreds of millions of dollars. They've got all these mm-hmm. contacts. And also they've their executives have 40 years experience in the industry for a reason. Like mm-hmm. not every executive's there because they've stabbed people in the back like happens in the movies. Like there are a lot of good people that work there too. So maybe there are some things that once you can connect with them, they can open doors for you. And that's the point of, mm-hmm. of um, you know, me talking with people like Ben Parsons and, and with Christian Gossin at KPMG and uh, Andrew Walton, who's another um, mentor of mine who has a sports tech startup that's 16 years wow. old now. I mean, it was a startup, but, you know, well versed in that space because they can open doors. Like Andrew walked me straight into baseball. Baseball called him and said, Andrew, we want to do something in esports. Uh, Mm -hmm. or gaming, who do we talk to? He said, well, Chris is the guy I know. You know, you need, you need these kind of respected people in the industry to open those doors for you. The same way that you're not just, you're not just going to accept some random person on LinkedIn (laughs) and accept their pitch they send to you. The same way that Domino's is not just going to accept some random, you know, Twenty-eight-year-old kid like me just messaging them out of the blue because I'd be like, "Who the hell are you?" Like, we spend millions of dollars a year to this agency. We trust them much more than this random person we see on LinkedIn. Just because you're passionate doesn't mean that you're going to make the sale. And you need to understand the timings of when these things get sold, and and the batches, and what they care about. You know, Thermaltake cares more about logos. Corsair cares more about a long-term relationship. Um, mm. Thermaltake ca- cares more about sponsoring grassroots and increasing the perception of their brand. Where Corsair cares more. More about philanthropic efforts and things like that. Like you know, it's all of these things that these companies understand that we don't, and that's why it's awesome to see like um, like over in the UK with Excel. You know, they they took the previous CEO of of Fnatic. It's previous, I think it was a co CEO of Fnatic, sorry, and they took the marketing director of Adidas across. Like that's perfect because imagine how many contacts that Adidas guy comes with. He very much likely he very likely knows the senior directors at Nike. He very likely knows the Reebok senior directors. He obviously knows Adidas. And then working with Adidas, he's obviously friends with people in the MMA. He's friends with people in soccer. He's friends with people in football. So, you know, he knows all these kinds of people as well that we can use to our advantage. And I think if I was to go back, you know, I would have hired a salesperson like that previously as well when i first raised capital i should have and i think that so many other people should think about that too if you're an esports team right now and you've raised a million five million dollars consider finding a, a mid-level manager salesperson even and, and throwing you know if you're in australia or america 80k a year at them because the contacts and the experience they bring i think can outweigh like pretty much anything else
1: totally agree with you chris and uh, i think that's what's lacking in the market right now and i uh, mm-hmm. hope to see more good people coming into
0: yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I guess we didn't do what I said the solution was where well, we talked about the problems of SEA, but what are the solutions like for you? Like what's, what's holding back the growth as, as far as I, Southeast Asia goes?
1: I believe it's more about uh, the awareness to decision makers in uh, senior level management in those companies. Yeah, and, okay. uh, it's more about mainstream media covering in a positive light. Cause mainstream media still kind of pick and choose which articles, you know. Like mm. uh, right now, they talk about F1. That's fine. Um, esports, right? And some mm. talk about uh, the, the WHO, you know, or oh, World Health Organization classifies esports as a, a disease. Then they will yeah. kind of like highlight those kind of stuff. So there's, mm. uh, maybe they need more uh, dedicated sections on esports, you know, Then they need dedicated writers. Yeah, they would definitely um, even... Sp- play ahead that growth even further. Mm.
0: How is, how's the government support as far as SEA goes? I've heard some great things about the wider Asian community, like about Singapore, for example. Uh, I believe I've heard some good things about Indonesia and such. But yeah, how does it... Do you get the support that you need from from the government?
1: So it uh, depends on which government, like uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, they're very active and are very... Uh, very aggressive, if I may, if I may say. Um, mm. There's a blueprint uh, for the, in the by the Malaysian government for esports a five year blueprint, and mm. uh, even in uh, Indonesia they're very supportive. They did a President's Cup last year, the Mobile Legends yeah. President's Cup by the President Jokowi. In Singapore, the Prime Minister uh, Lee is aware about esports, and all his uh, the politicians are aware. So definitely the politicians play a role. Um, more of them speaking out positive stuff about esports definitely helps. And uh, there's also esports tournament being run right now online. Ex- example, in Malaysia, they set a budget for it. The Malaysia government yeah. together with the sports ministry set a budget with a uh, local uh, esports association. And uh, yeah, it's really being sportive over here. And I hope it's over there, yeah. likewise in Australia or even in the US. But I know US is more privately run, right? and Commercialized. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I guess I, I think one thing that Australian US does very differently is it's a lot more local based. Like there's been local council support here in Australia right. and also state based support. So like the Melbourne Esports Open is mm-hmm. is funded by Visit Victoria, which is, you know, the same branch that funds the F1, the GP to come to Australia, that that funds so many different sporting events, the Melbourne Cup, I believe, and and so many others around here too. They've been very, very supportive. Um, you know, we've seen some support up in the Northern Territory as well in the past. You know, we worked with an organisation up there to do business development management with them that was funded through a government grant. And the government says yeah. like that advantage. And Atlanta is the massive one as well, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, supporting... Um, supporting all of the efforts there i believe because i had um i had the ceo of high res on the podcast and he said it was something like a 50 cent on the dollar support back if you build something that's media export so you could literally build a we could use the tsm example you could potentially build a 50 million dollar facility there and get 25 million back from the government as long as you're creating content that can be broadcast internationally which is any influencer at all. <laughs> That's exactly what they do all the time. You know, anyone can watch it from anywhere in the world um, on, on Facebook or Twitch or Mixer or any platform. So the the possibilities are there. But I'm really interested to learn from you is like, is, is like, what, why? Like, why are the government supporting it? What do they see? For them, is it economic? Is it marketing? Uh, is it sports? Uh, like national pride? Like, like, what is it?
1: It's a variety of those factors exactly you mentioned, man. The spot on uh, economic yeah. value in terms of... Uh... Game development is one part of it. Uh, esports, mm. you get the hype, you get the marketing. Um, every It's all about face, right? In the, yeah. uh, about, among all the countries. So at one time last year in Southeast Asia, everyone's talking about building an esports arena. So all the governments are like chasing each other, you know? So I want yeah, to be right. number one. I want to be number one, you know? And uh, all the politicians, of course, they want to connect with the younger generation. It's just like France. They did a live session on Twitch, right? to Connect with uh, a debate mm. in France last year. So, uh, yeah, that's in, pretty cool yeah even in uh, Southeast asia you have uh, our sports minister talking to one of our uh, to one of the influencers in uh, esports so they realize it's a good way to connect to the next generation because mm-hmm. they are going to be our potential voters right and what do they like so that's how the governments recognize the value of esports and gaming for example
0: mm-hmm. and that's that's definitely one of the things I've talked about um, to local government here before. Like one of the previous governments in power, I met three years ago, I went to talk to them was like, you know, what's, what's your marketing to the 16 to 18 year olds that are voting for you? You know, they're not yeah, reading even, these newspapers and such.
1: Exactly. Even if I say, if I may say, even Donald Trump has a Twitch channel, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And I think, you know, for better or for worse, he understands that marketing, he understands tweet, Twitter. And, you know, I think we've seen so many politicians now get on Twitter because of him, you know, for better or for worse, it's about connecting with your fans and the, like the common way I explain influences versus uh, movie celebrities. Like Mm -hmm. Hugh Jackman, you know, famous Australian actor, the appeal for him was he's on screen, you can't touch him, he's this mythical (laughs) creature, he does a cool movie, then he goes off to his mansion, you don't hear from him for a year or two years or three years and he comes back. Whereas now with influencers, it's the opposite. If you use like Jade, who's a TikTok influencer, for example, she does like Mm -hmm. seven pieces of content per day, one to two live streams, three to four TikToks, Instagram stories, Mm -hmm. Instagram posts, she's on Twitter and she's on LinkedIn connecting all the time because people want that constant engagement. They want that constant touch on you. And if you don't, you fall out of the algorithm. And like Ninja said, you know, he had mm-hmm. to stream seven days a week, 12 hours a day on the come up, <laughs> even when he was the biggest, biggest thing ever because he knew that he, take two days off, that's $20,000 that you're never going to see again. So you've got to keep that ground.
1: This is what I tell to senior people in a way that exactly like you said, you know, the David Beckhams out there, they're playing on the football field and you see them on the TV, tiny minutes, that's it, right? And like, for mm. example, our uh, talents like Emperor and Dylan Pros, you see them on the screen and they actually interact with you. So it's like a David mm. Beckham talking back to you like, wow, he said hi to me. Hi, senpai. Oh, wow, yeah. Chris is replying to me. And they feel connected, right? Mm. That which uh, traditional sports can't do because it's just a one-way street. It's not interactive.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's very true. And it, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. I heard this about Singapore as well. That Singapore's reason for getting into esports was very much nationalistic pride. It was, you know, we're not winning Olympic gold medals. How can we win the version of esports gold medals?
1: Um, I don't have uh, info on that, but I'm not surprised because uh, over here in Southeast Asia, like the SEA Games last year, you had a mm. variety of uh, esports uh, uh, titles, and it's a big deal because. That may be the only medal they win for the country, you know. Mm. (laughs) So gold medals, silver, so it's a big deal. And up today, a lot of uh, sports ministers uh, recognize that uh, value in there. And I hope it continues Mm. for the next SEA Games, even in Asian Games.
0: Is esports recognized as a sport in in majority of SEA countries by the government?
1: Uh, Different countries, yes, but they are still on uh, different categories. Um, Even there's talk about Olympics, but it's not going to be the Dota or League of Legends. We see it will be their form of Olympics, like the National Cycling Association will have their mm-hmm. e-cycling thingy and their e-sports okay. version. Yeah,
0: etc. You know, one one question I didn't ask you before as well that just came into my mind. There's a lot of sure. different religions as well within Southeast Asia. Does that create oh, yes. extra cult, the extra cultural barriers for you guys with with marketing and communications?
1: Not really. You just got to be sensitive to their local cultures. Like, uh, example, uh, the Muslim Ramadan is coming. Uh, that means they go on a yeah. fasting month. You know, so you don't want to be showing food. So much, you know. Yeah,
0: it's so the worst time to post about instant noodles. Yeah, for sure. No. Yeah. So,
1: you need to be culturally, culturally sensitive, and of yeah. course, like uh, different uh, lingo has a different meaning. Some might mean mm. uh innocent uh, word, some might mean a total bad word, for example. So, yeah. a lot, a lot of uh, communication plays into that,
0: into it. So, does that does that include um, like your Facebook page and things like that too? Like, do you have a completely different Evos Thailand versus Evos Indonesia?
1: Oh yes, we do. We have uh, mm-hmm. Evos Thailand, Evos Vietnam, uh, Evos Indonesia. We separate it out because um, mm-hmm. you don't want a Thai guy reading a uh, Bahasa Indonesia; they won't understand, right? It'll be spam yeah. to them. Same goes uh, vice versa. So definitely by uh, title, game title, and also by the country.
0: Sounds like a lot of a lot of copy-pasting and a lot of templates <laughs> for you guys to get
1: through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But but also different countries; they resonate differently with the different memes. So if that Mm. country has a specific meme or trending topic, they they will adjust accordingly.
0: Mm. Yeah, okay. And I guess moving on to another topic, because we don't, we don't have too much long left today, but sure. I, I wanted to talk about content. So obviously there's, there's been some articles that have come out about Evos really being a, a team that focuses on influencers and managing influencers and such. And we talked a bit about this over the last couple of days and in some of my, t- to put my stance on it. And then I want to get your thoughts on the market where I've talked about this in content in the past where a lot of teams have made content just for the point of making content the same reason they'd make streetwear. Everybody talks about how content is important. You can monetize it. Um, You can grow fans with it. You can re-engage current fans and maybe turn them into super fans you currently have by producing content. But that's usually where the thoughts Mm -hmm. end. They don't necessarily think about why. They don't think about pre selling it before it goes out. They don't think about how many views it gets and how they can get more. They don't think about necessarily what the content is, um, whether the c- production quality is good enough, and what the purpose of, of the whole thing is, too. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. You know, we, like I looked through the social blades and, and looked at some of the, the numbers that you guys achieve versus other tier one global organizations who've raised five to ten times the amount of capital that you guys have and and you've got five to ten that five to ten times the amount of views that these guys have. Is it because you're in Southeast Asia and views are easy to come by? Is it because you guys focus more on content? And what's your like commercialization and philosophy like around that whole content piece?
1: I feel that um, maybe in Southeast Asia, we got more eyeballs in terms of, because uh, everyone's on a mobile phone, right? And this is mm. easily accessible. And we got maybe more young people here, if I may say, um, depending on the demographics. And also, we don't just do serious content we got all those funny skits and stuff and uh we also doing behind the scenes production and um, most of the esports fans in southeast asia they like funny stuff you know not just your serious stuff so we have a lot of uh, funny content as well and also they like behind the scenes a lot because um not everyone gets to talk to the pro player see what he does behind the scenes so we have a lot of that if you see on evos the tv channel so that kind of helps a lot and uh yeah, they like to see different, different, funny stuff. And in Southeast Asia, there's a lot of funny stuff going on.
0: <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. And and what does like like what like what is the point of the content as a whole for you guys? Is it primarily a, a an experience to bring new fans? Is it primarily a commercialization aspect? Is it to um, solidify the fans you currently have? Like, why? What's the philosophy?
1: It's more about entertainment. You need to keep them entertained uh, because number one, they're already watching your teams and your players in the serious matches, right? So that's mm. one form of serious entertainment. But they want to see the funny side of it. They want they want, of course, the A word again, authentic. You know, <laughs> they want to see mm. it being real. So they don't care if you do funny stuff or like one of our players when they want a m1 world cup last year he took off his whole jersey right and it <laughs> became like a meme and everyone's oh, talking about it because you don't see it yeah. yeah you hardly see it in uh of course you see in traditional sports the footballers always do it right but in yeah, these yeah. sports hardly most uh, are shy kind of thing so he took off his whole jersey and it went it went viral so uh yeah. people want to see something different they, they, they don't want just the day-to-day stuff they want like behind-the-scenes, uh, original content. So we also mm. do movies, uh, short films. We are okay. looking into that as well to connect with the larger audience. Even we want to turn a normal person into a EVOS or eSports fan, for example, mm. uh, to uh, bring them over the bridge. So we're trying to do it in different forms. And we also have like uh, different stickers of our uh, EVOS uh, mascot. It's like a cute cat kind of thing, like a tiger. Mm. So we're also looking into that. Uh, to connect with a larger audience, not not just a esports audience, to make it a household name.
0: Yeah, and I and I think like a an awesome case study that people don't respect enough is because you know whenever you think content, most people talk about uh phase and hundred thieves, right? They become an obvious first one, but they're very lifestyle, they're very mm-hmm. influencer style content. I think one thing that so many people could learn from is Team OG with the content mm. that they've done with Red Bull. You know, they won two world championships, but people like Ana. He doesn't Mm -hmm. say any words ever. He doesn't talk. (laughs) You know, he's a very shy, introverted guy. Same with Thompson he barely talks either but the the kind of content they have is fantastic because then you get to see that behind the scenes you see anna and and you know in the uh in the ti documentaries and such he'll say pretty much no words throughout <laughs> a whole game besides the besides the calling out of what's happening throughout the game you know he, he's pretty much silent throughout that time Same with topson and that kind of stuff but the behind the scenes footage that like red bull did where they went back to topson's hometown and they yeah. talked to his brother about his upbringing his family like i don't ever watch content and i i watched that i, I loved yeah. it because i was like i get to see behind the scenes of these awesome quiet kids like they do have personalities they are real people they're just not really outgoing but yeah. sometimes it's not up to them to do that sometimes yeah. they're not like phase banks they're not larger than life and really out there and want to make vlogs they're not like to They you know they're not like um cloud nine nothing or anything like that too you know they're really so it's up to you as the overarching brand to draw that out of them to tell that story
1: yeah but Totally agree. Like uh, last year before TI9 in uh, China, the the team OG, they were with Red Bull in Malaysia doing their Mm. boot camps and they had a session whereby they had to eat this uh, fruit called the duran. It's a pretty fruit and they made them like uh, do a show match, you know, you got to face off and eat it. So uh, that's funny because it stinks, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I heard it stinks. Does it taste good though? I've never had one before.
1: Yeah, you should have one. Come to Malaysia. Yeah, I'll give you for free. (laughs)
0: <laughs> which one? Well, you can't give me a free flight anymore, so you've you got to give me the <laughs> free I guess. For I'll sure. bring it so to what, you in Australia. Oh, yeah, that sounds good to me. What? So, what's coming up next? Do we got to wrap this up soon? So, what's coming up next in your world? What are you working on right now?
1: Yeah. Uh, so recently, we just made a big uh, deal with a e-commerce company which is linked to Alibaba. It's called Lazada, one mm-hmm. of the largest e-commerce platforms in Southeast Asia. Uh, and can you? Sorry, can you spell?
0: Week. Can you spell that out as well? What's the URL? La, 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 uh,
1: Lazada, that's a L-A-Z-A-D-A, Lazada. Okay, cool. So it's a big e-commerce company tied to Alibaba. We did a deal with them. Uh, we're going to have our merchandise on their platform as well. And okay. uh, yeah, we've got a bunch of other sponsorships uh, line up, uh, which I'll make an announcement when the time is right, but I'll give a heads-up teaser here, right? Yeah. yeah, so definitely some stuff are uh, in the pipeline. Uh, so hope to share more on LinkedIn and I'll let you know as well, Chris.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And where can people follow you and your team online? Uh, uh, we can go
1: to our YouTube page. Just go to, type in EVOS esports, E-V-O-S esports. And uh, on Instagram as well, please follow us. Um, and also on uh, LinkedIn. Thanks, Chris, for the shout out.
0: No problem, mate. Thanks for coming and and thanks to everyone who's tuned in live today on Twitch TV, LinkedIn, watching the VOD back or listening to the audio-only podcast. We've got a lot more podcasts coming out very soon. And if you're watching the LinkedIn Live, we've got plenty more coming this week and next, including a an interesting one I pulled together about a coronavirus response. I've got a few guys coming on um, from different regions in the world who talk about how the coronavirus has affected their business, any plans they had in place for a massive pandemic or a massive issue to happen, and how they're struggling or how they're dealing with what's happening, good and bad, and what their recovery process is. So trying to follow, I guess, that similar stuff that we talked about in the content today of, you know, let's talk about some solutions. Let's talk about some things that people can actually do, not just about the numbers, not just about the problems, but what can we actually do with this information and help each other out. So thanks for coming on, mate, and thanks, everyone, for watching
1: yep uh, thanks Chris for inviting us uh, to the show and I believe he's doing a great job in, in the LinkedIn world going live and sharing about esports and just a quick uh, plug-in as well just I uh, want to let everyone know that in uh, Evo, Evo's esports co-founders we have uh, Forbes 30 under 30 it was just announced uh, recently Ivan you have uh, Hartman and Wesley they're co-founders and they were under in you know, the Forbes 30 under 30 so that's a big deal
0: yeah that's awesome that's awesome alright thanks so much mate we'll keep in touch thanks mate Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg.